You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. For 20 years, I've been writing about how much I think people should not go to college, that college is not the only solution out there for a career. In fact, it could be the worst solution because tuition has risen faster than inflation every single year for the past 50 years. And why is that? Because student loans is this big scam and the government backs them. So college presidents always know that they're getting their money. So they just keep raising tuitions even faster than society is raising the prices on anything else. And then there's the four years of time spent there's the fact that, you know, do people really learn necessary or, or important skills, I should say, in college and on and on. But James Keyes, Jim Keyes, former CEO of multi-billion dollar company 7-Eleven, very successful guy, has been CEO of a bunch of companies, including Blockbuster. And it's interesting to see, hear how he tried to save Blockbuster. But he wrote a book about the importance of education. So guess what? We decided to debate and... I'll admit I'm the sort of person who tends to agree with whoever the last person I speak to is, but he presented some very good arguments and I have to, I have to give him all credit for that, but I'll let you um, hear the conversation and it's uh, well worth listening to, particularly if you've been wondering about this issue. So here he is. Let's talk about college. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. First thing I want to thank you about is thank you for leading 7-Eleven into a buyout 20 years ago because I was a shareholder. Oh, nice. You, you did well. It was like It was like dirt cheap for so long. Like it was trading for seven times earnings forever. I know. And debt wasn't so bad. I'm making a lot of cash, had a lot of cash. And I don't remember exactly all the statistics 20 years ago, but I remember thinking, oh, this is, this is, 
Seven Eleven, and it's people don't seem interested. Like it's a well-known brand. I don't know what was going on. Yeah, we 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 literally went from ten years of same store sales decline to uh, ten years of same store increases, and still no one was paying attention. The stock was just floundering at about four four dollars a share. Um, we ended up uh, selling it at thirty seven fifty, almost forty. So yeah, you did well. I did well. Yeah, and I remember you you say in the book the CEO of Southland, which owns Seven Eleven, before, what you know went through various management changes, including you as the as CEO. Um, but you you mentioned how the CEO told you that people will pay for convenience, people will always pay for convenience, and that that's really true. Like I say, I don't, I hardly ever buy like material items, but I will like upgrade my plane tickets and so on, just because convenience is so important. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was really an interesting story because it's, you know, he told me about his dad, you know, how they started as an ice house and they thought they were going to go out of business because someone invented frigid air. Right. Um, but he, uh, his argument was that convenience is never going away. You know, people will always need to have something that they can access conveniently. And he said, you know, your challenges, this was now 1991, go find, go find stuff that people need. And uh, we brought in ATMs to every store. We brought in, you know, new new products that people had never seen before that I, I would source all over the world. I'd find things in Korea or Sweden or, you know, Taiwan that would sell. And uh, were you know, the cutting edge. Remember the Razor scooters? Yeah, yeah. Remember those crazy things? Kids were all over yeah. those Razor scooters. We literally, could, no one could find them. So we sourced them in, in China and we had a 747 full of Razor scooters. The, the, not the thing you would expect to see in a 7-Eleven, but we ended yeah, up- Yeah, I don't remember seeing them. Yeah, because they sold out. We, sold, huh. we, caught, we caught that craze early on and kids saw them and said, oh, I want one of those. And we ended up selling a bunch of Razor scooters in 7-Eleven. You'd never think about that. That's so funny. Yeah, my kids bought me a Razor scooter for my birthday once. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, the first ride on it, I flipped over, like I hit some pothole, flipped over, flew about five feet, and they were really upset. Like, are you hurt? Are you hurt? But then I never used it again. So, <laughs> but, uh, and then you were CEO of Blockbuster, which is also a convenience idea. You know, the idea that I don't have to go to a movie, I can just watch any movie I want anytime I want, which now is ridiculous thinking that that was a big surprise at some point, but you know, cause of obviously cause of streaming and the streaming wars, which involved blockbuster. And I mean, you, I forget, were you the last CEO of blockbuster? No, there was one more after you, right? Yeah. We sold the company to dish networks. Right. And, okay. Uh, yeah. I remember that in the book. Yeah. So they put in a CEO uh, and you know, candidly, they, uh, they, they could have and arguably should have, and maybe still will make it work because they uh, they were purists. They wanted to make sure that the experience was absolutely perfect. And even though we had Blockbuster on demand, we had streaming capabilities. We acquired Movie Link, converted it, had new releases. They didn't like the platform uh, because of the what really wasn't the platform for streaming, but the um, access to the internet at the time was pretty rough. You know, we still had buffering. Yeah. So their vision was, and still is, that one day everything is going to be mobility. So you, you know, they they uh, have been quietly acquiring a bunch of spectrum, and you know they think that 
ultimate, the ultimate solution is sufficient bandwidth so that you can virtually do everything from your mobile device. Download movies in seconds, upload them anywhere. But I, I feel like I could do that anyway right now with all the different streaming services out there. Not, not as effectively because, you know, we're still now just after all these years, we're just getting to 5G. So you can't download yeah. a full movie on your phone most in most places. Now, you know, if you've got really robust 5G service, like if you're in China, you could do it instantly. But here in the United States, it's still a little clunky. And uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Full on. 5G capability, but 5G and beyond, you'll have that you'll have that ability to do much much more through mobility. And how does Starlink fit into the picture of all this? Well, Starlink is of course gonna gonna be a huge enabler because it not only will help access to you know higher bandwidth, but it it'll light up places in the in the world that are just dark today. They don't have access to the internet. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I find especially interesting is the continent of Africa and what you can do in the most remote places to, you know, put a cell phone in the hands of a kid and that kid can access virtually any kind of learning via their phone, with, yeah. you know, with Wi-Fi capabilities. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, there's been a lot of interesting stories about how villages completely change once the kids get access to the internet because then they have all these how-to videos on YouTube and this is get, relates to the content of your book. They start learning. Yeah, exactly. And it changed their lives. Exactly. Well, in, in fact, the uh, the subtitle to the book, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen the final copy. I just got them, so I'm all excited. Oh, I, I just have the PDF version. Yeah, so that, well, the, the, the subtitle is The Future is in Your Hands and I, and I, I kind of, on the cover, represented this sort of connected world with satellites because literally, you know, there's more power right here than any of us growing up. I mean, I had, I had a set of encyclopedias my mom brought back in the grocery store free with a purchase, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and now we no, have now, anything. I know. And so that, so, so, okay. So your, your book, which I'll, I'll mention in the intro, so I'll record the intro later and, and, book is Education is Freedom, The Future is in Your Hands by James Keyes. Now, originally, Jay, the podcast producer over here, he uh, he thought we would have like a debate because I really don't like the idea of right now, higher education, like college. I think it's, but, but that's different from learning. Like, obviously, I'm a huge advocate of, of learning and education, but just higher education itself because of the way student loans have been structured by the government, it, there's no incentive for college presidents to lower tuition. So tuition's gone up faster than inflation every single year since the GI Bill. And now kids are going broke studying East Asian studies and then getting $200,000 in debt. Come on, James, we've got to do this because you went to Carnegie Mellon, right? I went, I went undergrad Cornell and then graduate school at Carnegie Mellon. So I'm happy to debate any aspect of this. All right. All right. No. And here's why. Here's why. We are focused. You're, you're ahead of your time because someday college will be less important because there'll be other ways with technology to measure knowledge, right? It, yeah. That's going to happen. But today we're doing a huge disservice to a kid saying you don't need college because you can learn anything online. Yes, absolutely. I, t I promise you I'm a huge proponent of that. But 
here's why I would never tell that to my kid or a kid. Because for the foreseeable future, 20 years, right? How else are we going to be able to tell who's got knowledge and who doesn't, right? It's going to be so, really, really difficult without that degree. You're, you're correct. So let me, you are totally correct on that. that. So you're saying from a very practical point of view, yes. if I want a job hypothetically in the tech sector or in investment banking, they look at thousands of applicants, how I need to at least like they weed out quickly. Anybody who didn't go to college, they say, okay, just weed out first the people who didn't go to college, then we'll start looking. So from a very practical viewpoint, you're saying I can't get a job in a great industry unless I get a college degree. Now I'm going to take it one step further. Not only can you not get a job, let's say you're an entrepreneur. Let's say you're a, a brilliant yeah. entrepreneur and you've got a great idea and you go to investors and you're trying to raise money and investors are going to look at your resume. And they're going to go, okay, smart kid, but why did he didn't go to college or, you know, he didn't go to grad school. So, it, so okay. My, my counter to this though, practical. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. It's just, it's, it's just practical reality. We all get caught up. We're ahead of our time because what we're saying is you can learn anything you want to learn via access to technology. And like I said, I'm a huge proponent of that, but I'm also practical enough to know that our, we are each, we each have a brand. That's a brand, right? And I know what's in that can because of that brand. And if yeah, we so, you, so not everybody's going to, most people will listen to this. So he was just, uh, Jim was just pointing to a Coca-Cola can. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it could have been a can of RC or it could have been an unbranded cola. But the point is, I know what's in that brand. And if I'm at a glance, I have to pick from 20 different colas, I'm going to pick the one more likely than not that I know what's in it, right? And, and we each have a brand and that brand gets reflected in our resume. And, and yes, our work experience is important, but there's also this question of what do they know? And, and that's where, you know, having a degree and having a degree in a relevant subject um, is, is going to be for at least the next 10 or 20 years, it's going to be pretty darn important. I, I agree with you. And I mean, there's an area where I disagree, but like, just to support your point, people also like to hire people who are like themselves. So like, I have a college degree, you have a college degree, you're more likely to hire someone who also has a college degree, people like yourself. And if somebody went to the same college as you, you're probably more likely to hire that person than someone who went to a different college. And so at least, so, so all the managers that, that are out there right now, they probably all have college degrees. And so you're right for 10, for the next generation, it's like, it takes a generation to slowly shift if it's going to shift at all. It does. And it, it, you know, it'll take at least a generation before most managers say perhaps don't have college degrees. Exactly. But then there's another, go ahead. I was going to take you down. I was going to take you down another path. You can tell I'm kind of passionate about this. Um, if you look at macro, the world, right? On the cover yeah. of my book is the planet. And the reason the planet is on the cover of my book is that satellite technology is not only going to increase access to education and learning, but it's shrinking the world. You know, Friedman's book, The World is Flat, I mean, it's, it is more and more shrinking every day because technology makes it possible for us to do business or have friends or 
just communicate with anyone anywhere in the world. Now, throw Starlink up there and we're able to connect with kids in a, in a rural village in Africa, right? Now, what, what's going to happen to the United States in this information age when we're encouraging kids to, ah, don't worry about college, you can drop out. And our college graduation rates have literally gone from the high 50s to down in the low 40% range. In the same period since 2012, China's gone from the 40% range to the 60% range. So they're going the opposite direction and doubling down on the importance of post-secondary education, as is India, as is many other countries, industrialized nations. If the United States, if you dial forward and we keep discouraging people from post-secondary education, are we going to maintain global competitiveness for our corporations? I don't know. It's a question. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours, and they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So... I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, 
you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So let me state my usual kind of arguments on this and maybe you'll convince me I'm wrong. Maybe it turns out I'm only arguing for someone who's like exactly like me, who though, although I went to college, I don't know where I benefited from it, but my own personal anecdote, and I don't want to get into too much anecdotal stuff because I don't think that's a good argument, is that I, I majored in computer science as an undergrad, I went to graduate school for computer science. And then when I actually had a job in the real world where I had to program, I was such a bad programmer. I had to take remedial classes in programming. So I went to like the best undergrad for computer science, the best graduate school for computer science. I knew I had spent my 10,000 hours on computers, programming them, building them. Then when I actually had a job, I couldn't program to save my life. I had to take remedial classes to for a month or two to, to do well at my job. And so I don't think I learned what I wanted to learn. I loved computers, but I don't think somehow I learned what I needed to learn. And then I started looking around. Oh, there's a whole category of people who they don't even remember what they learned. I would ask a, a European history major, hey, when was Charlemagne born, the emperor? A hundred percent of people I asked this, nobody knew the answer. <laughs> Within 500 years, nobody got the answer correct. And... I won't even ask you the question because nobody gets it correct. And uh, so then I started thinking, well, if the, if the money, if they're getting into much more debt than the generation prior, because again, tuition goes up higher than inflation every single year. So the students who enter today, are, they're, they're prom, their financial 
uh, investment in their education is much higher as relative to their incomes, everything. It goes up so much faster than income and inflation goes that it's 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 ridiculous. Combined with the fact that they're not really learning anything made me really a skeptic. So here's my quick response. Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm-hmm. physicist, right? Former I, I, guest on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay, perfect. He talks about this. He talks about elements of education. He uses a great example. He goes, you know, I took algebra, and I didn't think I was ever going to use algebra again in my life, right? Yeah. And he was a physicist, so maybe he could. But he said, here's what I didn't realize at the time, and I wish somebody told me. He said, what algebra taught me to do is to take really a complex equation and break it down into components and solve for the pieces to simplify a very long and complex equation. And he said, you may go through your entire life and never use algebra. But if you didn't learn that process in math of breaking down complex equations into little pieces, you might not be as effective in dealing with complex non-math problems later on in life. Said what what school teaches you to do, we we mistakenly sometimes think about very very narrowly the subject, computer programming. I mean, gosh, like we were punching punch cards when I was in school. What what value was that? But the process, the thought process, the understanding of how the computers work, that was all knowledge that is still very relevant to me today. And so I learned how to learn, basically as opposed to just turning somebody loose and saying, good luck, you know, could they? See, that's a good point, is that it, how self-directed would people be, would, 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 would the average person be without a college or a high school or whatever? But let me ask you a question. In, in every field, don't you learn how to break problems apart and solve them? In any field you study? Perhaps, yeah. So it doesn't really matter as much what the field of, of study is, but the fact that you're getting that, you're having that discipline of somebody bringing you along this this learning process. You're learning to learn whatever subject it is, math, science, could be you know English literature, but you're still learning to learn and you may come out a, a better writer as a result. I can write today, not because of you know my English classes, I can write because of my history classes. So I may never remember those things, but it, it taught me to write. Interestingly. And let me ask you, like in your history classes, like you probably loved history is my guess. Not really. I couldn't remember Charlemagne either. I, I would never be able to answer that question, but it's because it taught me to think and read and write. So, so, so let's, let's, I think there's an intersection here. I'm just curious about, which is let's say someone is interested in a subject. Like let's say I was in, I'm 17 years old and I love history. What if I spent the next year just watching YouTube videos and reading books about history? I'm probably going to know more than someone who just relies on college classes to study history. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that one up. I got a great example. In the book, I talked about a kid named William Tower. Will. Yeah. Yeah. You read it. Okay. So Will was a great example. I mean, this kid was a horrible student. He was getting C's and, you know, he hated school, but he loved YouTube videos. So I encouraged him to use YouTube videos to supplement his history classes. And it lit up history for me. It was like, wow, this is cool. He hated the books. So he was one of those learners that learns by video rather than by text and by books. 
And what he did, though, is instead of saying, well, I don't need those books, he supplemented the books with his video and made it more interesting as a result. He's now, uh, as you may have read in the book, um, he's, he's a freshman at Harvard. And I was so proud of him. Right. So this was the question I was going to ask you about. Will yeah. is that does he already was learning his topic at a very advanced level? Does Harvard really gain him anything other than okay? We know it gains him the two hundred thousand dollars in debt. Now his family's well off, so maybe it, it, he doesn't have to go into debt. But okay, he gets the it, the price tag. And you're saying additionally, he has a much higher chance of making a good income. Afterwards, oh, absolutely. Here's what everybody's forgetting: they think about the cost, right? What business can you start without taking on debt and grow and scale without taking on debt? We always take on a, debt. A, a service business. I can yeah. I can perform a service. I can mow your lawn. I don't need I don't need debt. Pretty tough, but if you want to grow it, you're going to have to add lawnmowers. You're going to have to add people, and if you're going to scale it, you're probably at some point going to bring on debt. And that debt, when you bring it on, you have to do a return on investment calculation and you have to look at the net present value of that debt based on future earnings streams. This is what, I mean, this is business 101. Everybody forgets this. So a college education is just like investing in a business, but you're investing in yourself. Your salary in the year 2040 is not going to be the salaries of today. Your salary in 2040 especially if fewer and fewer people go to college, your salary is going to be significantly higher than the salaries of today. So people are doing the math based on, on not realistic assumptions. They're saying, well, I could never pay for this today. I was making, dialed back, because you talked about inflation, I was making a buck seventy-five at McDonald's. I never could have paid, never could have paid $7,500 a year for school. Thank God I turned down McDonald's offer to go to Hamburger University and make funny. four bucks an hour because I'd probably be making 12 an hour now. But but almost to your point, like tuition is 10 times higher now at, at the private schools like Harvard. It's like 70K a year, you know, not counting other costs of going there. Yeah. And so tuition is 10 times higher, but the average income is not 10 times higher than 50 years ago. And yeah, do the math. Go back and look at the math. Books the average hour back back in, in when I when I was when I was yeah. So seven. So McDonald's workers don't make seventeen an hour, or they they make whatever the minimum wage is. I don't know. Maybe that is seventeen an hour. I don't know. Close. It's getting up there. It's hard to hire. Hard to hire anybody for less than twelve to fifteen dollars an hour. Let's say. So again, it's not it's not dollar for dollar. Yeah, there's probably yeah. some impact of higher education cost versus inflation, but it's not as extreme. My school today at $7,500 a year would be $50,000 a year. Now, it wasn't Harvard either. So, and I think I sit on the board of my school, I think they're now at 70,000, something like that. So it's a little more, but look, it was astronomical back then. It was yeah. crazy. It was impossibly expensive back then. But but like, so so let's say it is 70, yeah. Which, let's say I, I and I know a lot of colleges where they're all over the place on the academic scale. Harvard's, you know, despite recent news, Harvard's the first. Like I would say, I I would agree with you. Harvard, no matter what, is worth it. 
uh, like people at Harvard get hired by other people who graduated from Harvard 20 years ago. And it's usually, you know, top investment bank or top Hollywood studio or top, you know, te- you know, Tesla or SpaceX or, or Google. But if you didn't go to Harvard and you went to Hartford college, which also is like, I, I believe 70 K uh, a year, it's just not in the same level as Harvard. They would, any, most colleges would agree with that. Is it, and then you're going to major in like, you know, X, Y, Z studies. Is it still worth it? I think, and it's just a, a person's opinion. Absolutely. Because bottom line, you're investing in yourself and it's going to be whatever you make it worth. So if you start a business and you take on a bunch of debt and you don't really dig in and run that business, you're going to fail. If you go to Harvard or if you go to Providence College, it doesn't matter. It's what you put into that effort and how much education you pull out of it that will still give you the tools to succeed. Yeah, and so let me ask you this. Is there a type of person who shouldn't go to college? And and one type I think we, we both would agree on, if you're interested in a high-paying vocation, like electrician or yeah. whatever, maybe go to a vocational-oriented school, because you could make a great living, you won't get into debt, it'll be much cheaper, and life is good. But like, what what category shouldn't go to any of these schools? So I, I think, and I'm one of these people that believes, you know, we're all capable of anything we want to accomplish. You know, um, unless you have some sort of a true mental or physical handicap and can't, you know, succeed, I think anybody has the raw, raw horsepower to be able to succeed. So I would say anyone should try, should give themselves the opportunity. Because I was one of those kids. I mean, I'd be in a factory today making, cutting big blocks into little blocks and bored out of my brain. But I took the chance and I invested in myself and I, and I put the hard work in. And thank God I did. But I do believe that anyone has that opportunity. Now, if you I, I, I've got this expression, shoot for the stars. And if you miss, you'll still have the moon, right? You'll, you'll, you can still do well. So if you strive for the best, if you set out and say, I'm going to go to college and maybe you don't have the horsepower, maybe you don't have the will to put the work in to, to be able to get there. Then there's always still that vocational avenue. You could be a pilot today without a college degree. Because we have a yeah. desperate need for pilots. You can make $150,000, $200,000 a year being a pilot. I'm a pilot, but I'd rather own the airplane than work for somebody else and fly it. Right? Right. But let me, let me ask this. What was your first job out of college? What was your first job? Well, first job, McDonald's while in college. But yeah, out, out of college. You graduated. You have that degree. You're applying, first time applying, going to job fairs, whatever it is you did to get a job. What was your fir- very first job out of college? Well, I think, like I think you, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was like Gulf Oil, right? Or no? I, I actually had an interim uh, before going back to grad school. I worked for a company called Curry. They had, it was like a, um, uh, like a, a FedEx Kinko's kind of business. And I, and I worked for them for about a year. Okay. And then you went back to business school or whatever. Yeah. And you ended up in being a a manager at a big company and that was your career. Correct. Yeah. I ended up uh, getting an internship uh, while in graduate school and uh, it was Gulf Oil and they offered me a chance to come back full time. 
uh, and work for them. So I was actually planning to go back to law school and bag that because I was starving to death. So I took the uh, I took the job and and ended up in uh, Gulf Oil. And so my question for you then is, did you ever have a job ever again where they asked you what college you went to? Yes. <laughs> or oh, yes. Still, it matters today. So I, like I when mean, you went to Southland, they already knew who you were, right? They knew you were great. They knew who you were. They wanted you to help run 7-Eleven. They, they didn't really need to see your degree. They didn't need to, but it was a differentiation factor. I, I'm absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind when it came down to me versus somebody else for that chief operating officer role, chief financial officer role, it still came down to, okay, so what is his academic background? And it was a factor. It may not have been the, the only factor, but it, but right. differentiation, and this is the point, James, differentiation is as important for people as it is for businesses or products. We have to- See, I agree with you on that. And But now everybody's gone to college. And so how do I differentiate myself? Well, I could say, start a business. Oh, do I pick the guy who just graduated from Yale or do I pick the person who- instead of going to Yale, started a business. Okay. Didn't do great, but he or she still sold it for a couple hundred thousand or he or she made a living and had like 500 customers for whatever their services were. And who am I going to be more impressed by? I might be impressed by the entrepreneurial person. You might be in every, every circumstance is going to be different, but think about it. I could also say, I want to go be a professional basketball player. Because I don't need a, I don't need a degree. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to go be a pro basketball player, and I can do my best. But what if I'm not that good, right? So <laughs> we have to be careful that the outliers in business. People go, well, Michael Dell dropped out of school, you know, or this guy didn't even go to school. He just went straight to Silicon Valley. There are always in any industry, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, whether it's business, there are going to be outliers who will succeed under any circumstance, the reality, the practical, and this is where I'm coming from, James, it's the practical reality, having run two big Fortune 500 companies, you got 400,000 employees, right? You need a new person to do XYZ job. You don't have time to like be sitting there going, gee, I wonder how smart they are. <laughs> you, you have to, you have to have some frame of reference. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a this summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
So let's say you're going to hire someone who's going to manage some division that has 5,000 employees or even be the number two or number three guy in such a division. And you see, oh, here's an applicant. First, he was ran a division at, I'm going to make it up, JP Morgan. Then he ran a division at uh, 3M and then at GE. He's managed 25,000 employees before. Is it really going to be important for you to find out what his GPA was at college? No, no. But again, the experience, think of it as two lines that cross. Early on in your career, it's going to be pretty important because what track record do you have? You haven't run anything. You haven't done anything, right? So early on. Right. That's why I asked what your first job was because it's the second where they know who you are by then. Exactly. Exactly. So experience will get increasingly important over time. I mean, would I not hire Michael Dell? or Bill Gates, of course I would, right? If they came in and applied for a job. But when you're, Bill Gates may not have gotten to the point that he got to, but for being an outlier, that he succeeded in spite of the, the lack of formal education. I don't know, was it Bill that dropped out of college? But anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, no, Bill, all, all of those guys you mentioned yeah. dropped out. Yeah, so the, but, the, but, but, but I agree they're outliers. Yeah, and at some point, experience is more important than pedigree, right? Than degree. Right. But could they get that experience without having that point of differentiation early on? Yeah, maybe. And it, to some extent, it depends on when you grow up. So I grew up in a little bubble. I'm not sure what vintage you are, but in my in my vintage, I grew I'm, up. I'm the, I, I'm, I was following you right Close behind. <laughs> okay. All right. So things are pretty good. You know, I mean, we were in a kind of a booming economy and I didn't need to go to college. Like I said, McDonald's was banging the door down, trying to keep me from going to college saying, you don't need that degree. And I didn't at the time, but if I sold out for the near term opportunity, now maybe I could have run McDonald's someday. I just think my probability of success would have been exponentially lowered without without the degree to differentiate. I mean, we don't really know, but I would argue against you, like in the sense that you clearly knew how to build something. You, you acquired business skills. They don't teach a lot. Like in your book, you mentioned all these things about what we need to learn, why we need to learn them, how we need to learn them. None of those things are taught in college. Like, yes, you can argue algebra teaches you some element of critical thinking, history, right. all, writing history essays and having them graded teaches you critical thinking, hopefully teaches you curiosity. That's questionable in the college environment and, and so on. And, and clarity, hopefully it teaches you. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But I bet if you were, went to Hamburger University, then sooner or later you would run a, a franchise, then you would start thinking, oh, I can borrow off the cash flow on these franchises and I could have two franchises and then three and then 10, then you could take, you could sell your 50 franchise company for a hundred million dollars and boom, you know, would it have been as hard? I don't know. I mean, you have, you worked for 21 years for running, you know, at different stages, Seven Eleven. you worked at Blockbuster for many years. Like that was hard too. That was stressful. It took a long time, hard. Maybe you would have had that hundred million much quicker if you were doing your own thing and you had that head start of not having to go to college and business school because that takes six years. Very possible. Very possible. I, I could have. And again, it's it's all about probabilities. I'm a business guy. I, I yeah. look at it as an investment and the probabilities of success without that investment 
were substantially lower than the probabilities of success with it. I can start a business without putting, without having sufficient capital, whether it's debt or equity, I can start that business and struggle along for a whole lot of years, and maybe I'll get lucky. Or I can start that business properly capitalized with either debt or equity and give myself a better chance of success. Same thing with investing in yourself for education. Yeah. And, and you're even including the opportunity costs. Like you oh, yeah. went to school for six years. Yeah. Okay. I went to school also for a bunch of years and that's a lot of time. Like imagine if you had, you know, decided I want to be a business guy or an entrepreneur. And so I'm going to, starting at 18, I'm going to just get experience, like learning how to run a business and studying the people around me and, and so on. Like what's a scenario, what's a path where it would have been better for you not to do the education that you did? I honestly don't think there would have been a path. I think I would have been, I would have followed the same trajectory that many in my family did. You know, I would have struggled. And uh, eventually, I probably would have given in to my own self-doubt because that's the biggest killer uh, of people that aren't able to get that education. There's that self-doubt, that nagging, you know, oh, I didn't get a degree, blah, blah, blah. And they start talking to themselves. And they convince themselves they're not smart enough. They're not good enough. That, that's where the outliers you know, silence that fear, right? I do agree with that. Like my, my wife didn't go to college and I see that self-doubt in her occasionally, even though it's many, many years later, maybe I shouldn't have said that part. That was more sensitive to say than yeah. not going to college part. You're the one in trouble. But, <laughs> right. But I could see how there's sometimes self-doubt because of that. But that's, again, the two, the two main reasons you're bringing up are kind of society produced and not, not learning they're not for reasons of learning, but for reasons of society. Well, the, you're right. And that's the practical side of my message is society is what it is. Like it or not, we're going to be measured. We're going to be graded. We're going to be scored. We're going to be held to a different standard. And that's not going to change in my lifetime or yours or somebody watching, likely. But there's also the, the, the non, not so practical. Well, no, maybe this is practical. The things that you learn that we don't have the discipline necessarily. Some would. Some would have the discipline to get online without any instruction, without a teacher, without a formal process, and learn more than you or I would have ever learned. There are some people that can do that. The average person needs a little more structure, some discipline behind it, how to study, why to study. And then there's the whole social element that, that we tend to forget especially today, because it's so easy to immerse ourselves in a, in a small darkened room with a screen. But there's the whole social side of education that forces you to work with other people. I've got a whole book on, a whole chapter on collaboration. I didn't learn collaboration right. until grad school. You know, it was all me. And all of a sudden I had to rely on other people for my grade and it was horrifying, right? But it taught me the real world that you have to collaborate. I wish Congress would figure that out, you know? <laughs> See, that, that that's just it. Like Congress doesn't figure that out. And I'm just wondering if you learn 10 times more about collaboration in the real world than in a college thing. Like I feel I didn't, just like I feel like I didn't really learn real world computer programming till I was in the real world. Hmm. I don't know if I really learned collaboration 
Or for instance, shortly after my first real job, I started a company and I was an entrepreneur. And I don't think I would have been able to learn any of those skills in college. You know, I took some business school classes, but I, you know, marketing, the techniques of marketing change all the time. You know, leadership changes, sales techniques. It seems like it should be the same, but it changes, you know, and I don't know. I feel like I need that real world experience to really learn. You, you need a combination. A lo- I, I, I describe a college degree or even a graduate school. Graduate school is a little different because there you're, you're generally learning a specialty. So, you know, yeah. you were going to be accountant, but I'm better off having had to take core accounting. At least I know if my accountant's telling me, you know, something crazy or not. Um, I, I describe the college degree, though, as almost like getting a pilot's license. I got a pilot's license, 40 hours, right? I was terrified. Get in the airplane and you scare the crap out of yourself the first time you're up there. And, and then, you know, you do things, you get pretty comfortable, and then you do something else that scares you to death. And you, and you almost crash and you go, oh, my gosh, thank God I learned from that, right? Or you come into a crosswind or something. The pilot's license is a license to learn. It basically gives you that core kind of skill that then turns you loose in the real world to go learn from the experience of flying. And that's kind of what a college degree does. It, it teaches you how to learn, but it doesn't teach you everything you need to know to be successful. It just gives you that fundamental structure and discipline to then be a license to learn when you get out into the real world and you start applying, applying those things. Also, you know, it depends a little bit on the quality of the professor. Sure. Like, or, you know, or the professors you have, like, were you encouraged to really think critically and explore things you were curious about? Or did you have to follow some agenda and mostly use rote memory? And even your critical thinking, you had to kind of align with the professor's critical thinking. And I'm not saying this in a political way, but just like in any profession, you know, most of the people are mediocre to bad and very few are really good. So professors, the same thing. Oh yeah. It's and, a real world. It's a real world. This is a point that I make in the book that's so important. When I say the future's in your hands, if you have a crappy math teacher, I had a really bad math teacher at one point. It just frustrated the heck out of me. Today, I could go to Khan Academy. It's like, I don't care if I've got a crappy math teacher. It doesn't matter. Right. I'm going to supplement this knucklehead with my own learning, but I still come out with that degree, the credentials, the ability to get into a quality graduate school, et cetera. If I use that as an excuse, ah, the teacher's junk, so I'm going to quit. I mean, what have I done to myself, right? So it, it, there's always going to be bad teachers. There's always going to be a bad, you know, infrastructure, lots of excuses. But the power really is in our hands. Let, let's say you were starting a software company, and one guy came to you and had a four-year degree in computer programming and another guy had a Google certificate. So Google started these things called Google certificates. And I think at a site, a learning site, Coursera, you can get a Google certificate. You study different computer science things and IT things, but it takes you only like, it's almost like a pilot's license worth of work. You know, it's not going to be the 10,000 hours, but also it isn't that way for someone majoring in computer programming. They also have to take a language and they have to take, uh, you know, philosophy and an English class and they're not really spending all, you know, they're spending one fifth their time or one fourth their time on computers. So would you, would, would you take someone who had a Google certificate? So this is an educational program modeled by Google about what they need to hire 
would you do that over a college degree or consider them equal or, or how would you consider it? You know, I, I honestly don't know because I think every situation is going to be different. And that may be, you know, a case where I would say, sure, I'll take that Google, Google certificate. Um, again, there, there are too few of those credentialing alternatives to college today. So that may be one example that there may be a Google certificate that's, that is worthwhile. But if I had somebody with a Google certificate and a degree, I might take that person over both of the others. And it's same as a, you don't need a degree to be a pilot, but if I had a pilot come and apply for a job and he's got a college degree, you know what? Probably going to take him over somebody that just came through. Yeah. But let's say, okay. And I'm not trying to, I'm asking questions legitimately. Like there are several categories of people and like, for instance, we know there's a category of people who should go to vocational school as opposed to college. Sure. And I'm just wondering, like you mentioned, if someone's going to be in the NBA, maybe they don't have to go to college if their only reasons for going would have been practical as opposed to learning oriented. But what about someone who really wants to be an actor, for instance, and the year's 18 to 22, that's a critical age for a lot of people who just go to LA and audition have more opportunity than someone who waits four years and starts at 22 because you're still going to need like five to 10 years of auditioning before you break out in many cases. So what if someone just wants to be an actor or really wants to pursue it, give it a chance? What would you tell that person? <laughs> Go to college. Here's why. <laughs> you got, you could be a wildly successful actor. And you know, you don't need a college degree. Who's going to manage money? Cause as soon as you, right, that's money, you know, you're an MBA star, you're, you know, LeBron James, you have to rely on somebody else to manage your stuff because you don't really how, have the horsepower to, to do that. How are you going to know you need somebody else? Like there's a lot of successful oh, people right. who went to college who went broke, at, you know, after they made money, I'm going to raise my own hand here. I went broke the first time I made money and I didn't know I needed someone else. I thought I was smart because I ran a business. <laughs> no, you're at, you know, you're absolutely right. You can go broke, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're smart, whether you're dumb, you can go broke in any circumstances. The point is, there is always a need for that breadth of education. You can either go deep and learn one thing like basketball or be a pilot or whatever, or you can go wide and you learn a lot of things. And my point is, and I, I'm an outlier, James, I am, there are going to be people sitting here that are so mad that want to climb through the screen. And no, most people very much agree with you, and you're making very persuasive arguments. Well, no, I think right now the narrative is more aligned with where you're coming from, that college is not relevant. There's, there's a, a, a Wall Street Journal article that just said, like two weeks ago, college is no longer respected, no longer important. I'm the counterpoint to that. And the reason I'm the counterpoint to that is I'm not looking at today. I'm looking at 20, 30, 40 years from now and where we are as a country. If the rest of the world is doubling down and tripling down on formal education, and we're sitting here going, eh, I'm going to go be a TikTok star, you know, um, <laughs> I, I'm a little scared for where we will be in 30, 40 years as a country and as a society, really, if we're not, we don't have the breadth of knowledge that you get yeah. one way or another in college. You know, I wonder, like, so they're doubling down on college, but that's mostly they're doubling down on STEM. They want, they, they want ne the next genomicists and AI people 
They don't want them to go to America and then stay in America. So they've been doubling down on, on STEM. But if someone here is, is, is an entertaining person and has no interest in STEM, what should they really, like I'm basically asking, is there any category of person? And I think the answer is no, but is there any category of person that you say, just, just start getting experience? Okay, the electricians, you're gonna go here. Is it everybody else go here? Or is it these people go here, like the STEM people go here. And if you really love philosophy, also go here. But if you wanna be a TikTok star, try this for a couple of years. Even the electrician, I would say, do you really wanna to have to be climbing through attics and the wiring, you know, and, and doing all this hard, hard work for the rest of your life? And do you really want to be tied to whatever the current salary is for an electrician? Or do you want to have the opportunity to go own the electrician firm or build a whole chain of electrical, you know, electrical electrician uh, services? I mean, it's, it, it's, my answer is for everyone, shoot for the moon, learn as much as you possibly can. Shoot for the stars, learn as much as you possibly can to give yourself the optionality. And this is what it's about. It's not about money. And this is the difference. Education is, it's not the book, education is money. <laughs> it's education is freedom because it's, yeah. it's that breadth of learning that gives you options, that gives you freedom to do anything you want to do later on in life. See, I 100% agree with that. And, and you lay out, you know, the things you really need to learn, how you learn them and so on. You lay that out perfectly. Like, critical thinking, curiosity, creativity, these are so important. And I just asked myself, did I learn those things in college or did I learn those things for my, through my own initiative? But then there, I have to ask myself, does everybody have the same level of initiative? Some people do, some people don't. Maybe they do later in their career uh, or, or maybe they do when they're younger. Um, and so I'm just wondering what, what, cat, what category of people Really, it's a misuse of their time for them to spend six years reading books or or when they could have learned what they needed to learn on YouTube videos like your your friend will, and then they could have started some career six years earlier that that needed a more youthful you know initiative to start i think I think the the simple answer is you'll know you know um hopefully you as an individual will know the, the it it's not two years, four years of college, eight years of college, it, it, that, that is less relevant than whatever it takes to give yourself the broadest of opportunity. Because that's the key. None of us know what we want to do. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I would have been a terrible lawyer. Um, but it wasn't until graduate school that I discovered, hey, business is kind of fun. I, I actually like this. I'd be, I'd be bored to tears in, in a law firm trying to read contracts. Yuck. But I didn't know that at the time until I learned more and experienced more. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow. And I have the tools now. I have the background that lets me to pivot and go left or right or do any of these things. I'd go be a professional pilot right now if I wanted to, um, just because of, of learning, of the breadth of learning. Right. And, and but learning, as, as you mentioned, is not necessarily connected directly with, a, you know, with traditional institutional higher education, like a college. Like you could learn like, like by, 
You know, there's there's a great site. I was just playing with it last week. You'll, you'll appreciate this site. Learningverse or learniverse.ai. You type in, I want to learn all about the Roman Empire. And it'll ask you some questions. And then it comes up with an entire class curriculum. And it says, do you approve of this curriculum? Do you want to add anything else? No, no. Okay. And then it searches for a few seconds and it curates for every class. Like it, it, maybe it'll have 20 different classes in, inside the category of Roman Empire. And for each class, it'll curate the YouTube videos that you should watch that it thinks are the best ones for that, you know, like social structure of the Roman Empire through the centuries. And there'll be a YouTube video on that or three YouTube videos or how, decline in the Roman Empire. Four, here's four YouTube videos you should watch. So it broke down the Roman Empire into 20 categories and then it found the right videos for you to watch. It created a course for you. Like that seems like a great way to learn now. Oh, it's a great way to learn. It's a great way to learn and a great way to supplement. And and net, net, James, net, net, it doesn't matter how you learn as long as you learn, right? That is the yeah. the most important message is to learn. Now, I agree with that. The practical side of that, though, is there are realities in society of measurement systems. You know, whether yeah. you're borrowing money for a new business, you know, or you want to get into a country club. You know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to look at who are you and what are your credentials. And maybe you're successful enough that you don't need any college because you've been so wildly successful as an NBA star or as a business entrepreneur that you don't need anything. But most of us, most of us are not going to be those outliers. And we're going to need something to be able to say, here's who I am on paper for at least the foreseeable future. Someday, like you said, it'll be Google certificates. It'll be, you know, Khan Academy graduate because he passed all the Khan Academy things and you can be a math wizard now. But today we don't have those. And, and until technology progresses enough that we've got consistent measurement capabilities online and those kinds of things, it'll come. That's that's the future. But it's probably 20 right. on the road. So, so if you... So taking an extreme example, if you, if you can see the future and know that from the ages of 18 to 22, you're going to succeed as an actor, then maybe it's okay to be an actor. But if you don't know, and yet let's say you're always interested in learning. So that's taken care of because you could just read books, watch YouTube videos. But the practical side, if you don't know if you're going to be a successful actor, but you happen to have majored in accounting, at the very least, you could get a job as an accounting firm and then a CFO and then so on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Although you may, there may be opportunity costs there where you could have been auditioning and instead you were in class. That's the only, that's. There, there may be. There, that, that's always going to be the case that you've got to measure that opportunity cost of not starting in the professional world as early. And that's always going to be the case. And that's why I said, you know, you'll know, hopefully you'll know. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're LeBron James, you go, do I go to college or do I need to? Because that, the, the opportunity cost of not joining the NBA right out of high school is far greater than otherwise, right? It's a personal decision, and he can make that decision, and he was right, obviously, to go straight into the NBA. Right, because he also he actually could see the future because when he was 17 or 18, he was offered tens of millions of dollars yeah. to jo join a team. So he knew, okay, I'm at least going to make this. Then yeah. I can go to college if I want, if yeah. I don't, if I bomb out of the NBA. Exactly. Exactly. So, but there is, it is interesting because 
you know, when I'm going through your book, okay, we're obviously debating about college and, and education right now, but, but your book is not really about that. Like, yes, you mentioned college a, a couple of times, but only a few times. And you really say the important thing is learning critical thinking, learning confidence, you know, being curious, being creative. Like you have all these, and then you have techniques for how you can enhance these things, learn these things. And this is really about like meta learning. Like these are the tools you need yeah. to succeed in society in a meta way. You, no matter what you learn in college, you need to still be a critical thinker. You need to still be curious and creative. And so those things, why don't they teach them better in college? You know, or, or maybe someone should create a college around your book where that's the curriculum is, okay, here's how we're going to learn to be a critical thinker across many disciplines. Here's how we're going to be creative across many disciplines and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they would. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm talking to a number of colleges now. I, I actually, when I started writing this book, I targeted it at junior, senior high school to encourage them to use these, this roadmap, if you will, to go to college and to, to do well in college. But then I started realizing, you know what? They don't teach you this stuff in college. These are the, these are the soft yeah. skills. They are the, the soft skills. And actually it was somebody that ran, runs a very large, um, academic institution that said, Jim, I want, I want to buy a thousand books. And I was, I was like, really? And they said, yeah, I want to give this to every one of my professors and uh, my uh, administrators because I want them to think about how we incorporate these soft skills into all of our learning, in all of our classes. I was like, wow, I hadn't thought about that, but these are the things you don't learn necessarily in college. I don't even like the phrase soft skills that much because these are like meta skills. Like no matter what industry you're in, like yeah. a soft skill might be sales is a soft skill. Yeah. Um, but like curiosity is something that's going to enhance your sales technique. You know, curiosity is going to enhance your study of, you know, feminist studies. Curiosity will make you better than other people who are studying feminist studies because you're, your insights will be more interesting because they're going to break the frontier wherever that discipline is. Sure. So, and you list in, in your book, all the different types of curiosity there is like different ways to kind of enhance your own curiosity. And, and I think your idea in, in listing these different ways is some people might think they're not curious, but they, they see these categories. You go, Oh yeah, no, I do that. And yeah. So it gives them hope that they could do it. Like, how would you teach curiosity? You know, it's, it, it's, I think we are all have innate curiosity when we're little kids. What do we do? We ask why, why, how come, why, why? And usually we tell the kids shut up because we're sick of hearing why, right? But we're curious about everything. And then eventually, I don't know what happens, but it, it, it's almost curiosity and creativity are kind of the same. It gets snuffed out. I think as we mature and we're told, you know, oh, you're not very smart or you're not very creative, you know, I don't like your singing sort of thing. So we kind of, we kind of suppress those natural things, uh, that, that we, that, that make us kids. So basically what I recommend in the book is just, you know, allowing yourself to go back to asking why classic case right now, we, we talked about it earlier, polarization that's going on in society, right? Yeah. I mean, no one's asking why. No one, you'll watch CNN or you'll watch Fox and you'll hear two different points of view. And, but does anybody step back and go, Hmm, I wonder why they reported that way, that tone, you know, Oh, maybe there's, 
maybe there's a constituency, maybe there's a an advertising audience that they're appealing to, or a core, you know, viewer that they're appealing to that makes them put that spin on it. So why did they report in that fashion? It's 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 natural for us to be able to ask why. Now some people are actually take it to an extreme. I've I just read an article in the journal about the conspiracy theorists. It's actually around the Taylor Swift thing. And there's all, oh, yeah. these, there's all these cray cray conspiracies out there now. Um, yeah. And so that's maybe why to the extreme people are trying to make up answers to something that could be just a, actually a natural phenomenon. These two people like each other. You know? <laughs> right. Like, like the, the conspiracy theories around there, but then you get, you start to get into, Conspiracy theory, you know, probably some questions are legit and some questions on another extreme are mental illness. Yeah, I mean, so I think, I think that's where the, the curiosity crosses the line sometimes into, into uh, serious mental illness. But <laughs> yeah, but then you have to wonder, like, you look at these top schools now, and this has been kind of been in the new media lately where there's a bias and okay. I agree. Just because you say the world is round doesn't mean you have to have another class saying the world is flat. Like you don't have to give every single subject both sides, but this bias does seem to be a bit extreme right now on some college campuses. And it doesn't even matter your political affiliation. Like some of it, it does seem extreme or at least extreme is the wrong word. There should be the alternative. Okay. There, okay. There shouldn't be an alternative to the world is round because we know that that's a fact, that's really true, or it's roughly round. But some of these biases, there's a legitimate other side. And and you get punished if you if you don't adhere to just the side of the university. So it seems like there's a direction, at least some universities are going to, that doesn't seem very favorable. And it's going to hurt their job prospects. That's what's already happening. Yeah, I think. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I sat in a, a board meeting. I sit on the board of, a, of an undergraduate university. And, um, and this topic came up, and we talked a lot about this dilemma that universities have. Now, look around the room. It's a very conservative board. Um, and yet the perception is that it's a very liberal institution. And you go, wait a minute. Now, these conservative board members are not going to allow this to be a, conserv- a, a liberal institution. Um, and yet the perception is there. So I step back from that, and in the book, I have a whole chapter on fear because a lot of these perceptions are fear based. And I mean, I'll give you a classic one. Um, it's this issue of are socialists going to take over the country, right? Are we trending down this path towards socialism? And are all these liberal institutions brainwashing our kids to be socialists and all that kind of stuff? James, I'm a capitalist. I mean, I ran two Fortune 500 companies. I don't, I don't worry about socialism. I mean, if you really are a capitalist, what are you worried about? They're not going to prevail. The capitalist way is going to be better, right? I mean, that's yeah. what we grow up believing, that it's a better way of life. So I'm going to sit around and worry about a bunch of socialists? Who cares? Let them go talk, right? And yet this fear ends up, making us paralyzed. Like, oh my God, they're going to take over. They're going to destroy the country.
on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you and I went to college, and I'm a little bit after you, but I think the same kind of environment... Yes, professors might have had a bias, but it stopped there. And I, I sort of feel like professors now are activists. They're not just intellectually biased, they're actions. And, and they, they require their students to take action as well and be activists. And, and there's often, and, and for, for professors or students who disagree, there's often now consequences on the college campus. Whereas I feel like there were more, there were more both sides when we went. And, you know, like when I went to school, uh, there was various, let's say, apartheid governments and there were protests on campus. And but there were professors who agreed and professors who disagreed and there was arguments and debates. Uh, and I might have completely agreed completely with the protesters, but there was still you could still have both opinions. But now I feel like opinion is a little bit suppressed. So I, which is another concern I have. I'm, I'm going to remind you of the Vietnam War and everybody believing that the world was going to hell because all of us our age were a bunch of hippies smoking dope and wearing funny clothes and growing our hair long. You still have your long hair. I don't know how you get away with that. <laughs> I wish I could. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> but but the but the older generation thought we were just like lost. We were lost. And that this was coming from teachers who were filling our heads with crazy stuff. Like, you should have moratorium day and walk out of school. And I remember walking out of school during the Vietnam because it was moratorium day. And we all staged a walkout, right? None of us knew why we were walking out of school. We were kids, right? We wanted a day off. So we walked out of school because it was cool. And I, I think a lot of that's going on today. So, I, you know, honestly, I really don't worry about it. I worry more about fear creeping in because fear is a bigger culprit, I think, than this indoctrination stuff. Because if people are really thinking and if they're using the skills that, that I talk about in the book, critical thinking and curiosity, they're going to, they're going to have their own minds. And you know what most of these kids are going to grow up to be conservatives because <laughs> they're going to grow up like, like the Vietnam kids and the hippies smoke, dope smoking hippie freaks all grew up, made a little money and became conservatives. And now, and now they're complaining. One of my best friends from high school, just complaining as like screaming about his kid, you know, being, being lost. Yeah. Right? I guess you're right. Like I look at, my, my so my father was born in 1936. So I look at his voting record. I know every president he's ever voted for. So he voted for Kennedy, Johnson, Eugene McCarthy slash Hubert Humphrey in 1968, George McGovern 72, Carter 76, Reagan. <laughs> like you just change as you get older. Yeah, you do, you do, you do. And, and I, th uh, I think I think a lot of that's going on now. And I, I, again, I, I, I encourage all of us just to 
separate out what's truth from what's irrational fear. Because a lot of this, we're, we're bringing ourselves into issues that don't need to be. We're worrying about stuff that we really don't need to worry about. And as a result, then we're, we're missing real opportunities, bigger opportunities to move forward together. Um, instead of complaining about schools and teachers and teachers unions and all this stuff, we should be doubling down on our investment in technology to make those schools more invest in, in, effective. But instead of rallying around the opportunity to transform our public education system, just as we've transformed retail or automobiles or whatever, instead, now we're fighting about vouchers or, you know, teachers indoctrinating our kids or what they ban or shouldn't ban. And I mean, these are just, all, these are yesterday's issues, not tomorrow's. And that, that they're driven by fear. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, and I didn't really think of it that way before, but I, I look at people just simply change too. So, yeah. uh, so, so let, let me switch gears for a second, you know, as a, as a captain of industry and with your network of people and the, and the conversations you must have every day, do you see, uh, a re like oddly a recession has not happened yet w despite the Fe federal reserve raising interest rates at its fastest, you know, pace in history. What do you, what do you think is happening in the economy right now? I, you know, I wasn't as worried about what was going to happen to the economy because, um, you know, the United States is very resilient and, and, and our economy to a large extent today is driven by some fundamentals like uh, technology that we, at least today, still do have an advantage uh, in so yeah. many fronts of technology. And technology is not going to go back in the bottle. We're not going to go backwards, right? We're going to continue. And as long as we continue to educate our youth and, and stay at the forefront of innovation and technology, I think we'll be fine. So... A lot of the economy uh, was a, a reaction. A lot of what we've been through uh, was a reaction to COVID. And you can't have a worldwide pandemic like COVID. And I know there's all kinds of things about, oh, you know, we screwed it up, whatever. This was, this was worldwide. This was not just a unique United States thing. The whole world recoiled from and the whole world shut down for a good year, year and a half. And so there was naturally going to be a, a reverberation a bounce back from that and and it's happening and and everybody said whoa inflation's with us forever no inflation was caused because we stopped and then had to restart and and it cost more to do everything Gas yeah, like why do people think why do people think inflation is just a money supply phenomenon and i know that's from milton freeman and the, the austrian school and so on but it's clearly like our supply chain got disrupted ships backed up for months and china wasn't f manufacturing things so of course if right. you don't cut down trees for two years t price of timber is going to go up exactly exactly and you know everybody was everybody was like oh my god you know having spent a lot of my career in the petroleum industry right i i looked at we were negative crude oil price i've never seen that in my entire career, we were negative crude price. So gas prices were like a buck ninety a gallon. Well, yeah, it's amazing they were even a buck ninety a gallon. They arguably could have been free. Here, take my gasoline because that's, yeah. that's what they were doing on the crude oil side. And yet, then people look at that and go, "Well, look at how much higher gasoline prices got six months later." Yeah, because we went from negative 
crude oil prices to all of a sudden higher and you know and the market overreacted and no one wanted to invest now in drilling we were drilling like crazy but who's going to invest in a new drilling you know and i'm talking 6 months ago when 6 months before crude oil went negative who's going to go put money into that right now until you see where things stabilize stabilize out so yeah as a result we overreacted from negative crude oil prices to $100 a barrel and gas prices went up to 5 bucks and everybody blamed inflation and blamed the government and blamed all kinds of stuff but i wasn't worried because it was an overreaction that was likely to swing back into a, a more normalized range. Do you think the Federal Reserve was too aggressive raising rates? Because now it might artificially negatively impact the housing industry, which is such a big part of the economy. It's hard to borrow money. Yeah, the, the simple answer is no one really knows. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an economist. And uh, all I can say is, thank God they did what they did. Because, you know, candidly, we were we had gotten ourselves to the point where interest rates were too low. We were almost in the Japan scenario where, you know, you can borrow money for next to nothing. And that created an artificial stimulus of the economy that wasn't real. That was going to ultimately cause inflation in itself. So what, where we are now, uh, people forget that my mortgage uh, 10 years ago, eight years ago was 6%. And it's back to those levels now. So I, I think where we are is a reasonable range. I do, I do think they'll probably stop. Yeah, it's so interesting what's going on because it's not like a normal period. No, it's not. It's 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 not a normal period, and I think we had a reaction and then an overreaction, and now we're we're back into a more normalized range. I think. And my my final question. I have one more question, but I want to just kind of say the title of your book: "Education is Freedom. The Future is in Your Hands." I think our debate hit on a lot of issues in the book, but I just want to remind people again that there's these really great chapters on what to learn, how to learn, why we learn. And you talk about everything from learn, you know, being able to deal with change. How do you learn confidence? How you learn creativity, uh, critical thinking. And as you mentioned, collaboration, there's many other chapters about these sorts of things and, and the role of wisdom in society. And it's a great book for educators, parents, kids, these are the real skills I firmly think you need to survive. Even if I agree with you, Jim, about college right now, I know tomorrow I'm going to wake up not agreeing with you. So I'm just easily convinced by anybody. <laughs> so, but, but your, your book is a hundred percent dead on, on what we actually need to learn. And, and those are the, the toolkits for success. I agree with you though. Practically a lot of people could benefit from the, um, pedigree that college gives you and, and so on. But the other, uh, this one question I want to ask you as the former CEO of 7-Eleven, when I go into 7-Eleven, the product in my life that I have probably bought the most in a 7-Eleven is Twinkies. <laughs> and I'm, I'm convinced they've changed the formula sometime in the past 30 years on Twinkies because it doesn't taste as good as when I was a kid. Now, is that just because I had a, I, I glorified it perhaps as a kid or did they really change the formula? Like it feels like it tastes worse now. Yeah, Twinkies have changed. Hostess was, you know, forever made Twinkies and Hostess cupcakes and, you know, all kinds of wonderful treats. Um, you know, I, I'll share with you that Hostess used to frustrate me because um, they would only bake three days a week and then they would deliver directly to the store. 
that was part of their magic to success because they did have good quality products and good fresh products. But I was obsessed with freshness. I wanted them every day in my stores. So I wanted fresh Twinkies. And this was like unheard of. I don't know if you've seen the thing that there's a, there's a report of somebody that found a Twinkie that was like 60, 80 years old or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I wonder if they went too far in that direction because it doesn't feel like as fresh. It feels like artificially fresh. Like they put flavoring in to make it flavor. I, I, this has nothing to do with Hostess. Maybe they're doing anything right. It's just my experience. Well, Hostess ended up... Um, going under, changing hands, being bought out by somebody else. So uh, it's a very different company than it was. And, you know, honestly, this is a, a classic conundrum between um, having truly fresh products. You go to 7-Eleven in Japan, they deliver three times a day. All of the baked goods in, the, in that store are off the charts fresh. Here in the United States, we tend to take shortcuts. So we try to add things that will lengthen the shelf life as opposed to shortening the shelf life. This will change over time and technology will enable, that's really the big enabler, technology, that's what Japan's figured out, to enhance distribution, ordering capabilities, delivery efficiencies, et cetera, and drive freshness into the store in ways that you know have never been possible in the past. They're doing that in Japan. You'll see it eventually here. You'll see a fresh Twinkie one day in your 7-Eleven store. I, I can't wait. Well... <laughs> Uh, James Keyes, Jim Keyes, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to kind of go back and forth with me on this issue. I think about it a lot. I have two, two kids, three stepkids. They're all thinking about these issues. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a topic of conversation a lot in, in my life. So thank you for, for humoring me on this. Your book is excellent, though, for so many other reasons about learning and, and education and uh, and also thank you for sharing your experiences. Thank you for being the CEO of 7-Eleven when I was a shareholder and then the CEO of Blockbuster. We didn't even get to that, but I'm sure there's many interesting stories there. Oh, yeah. Well, James, thank you for thank coming you. on the show. One last thing I'll leave you with. You know, we've talked a lot about education and, uh, and, and we've talked a lot about society and we talked a lot about fear. But I'll share with you that if you're a kid and you're scared of the dark, what happens? Mom comes in, turns on a light, light, all of a sudden you you realize there's no monster under the bed or in, in the closet, right? Light makes you, it eliminates your fear. That's what knowledge does. And that's why ultimately the more knowledge you can get, whether from your own learning or from the structure of a formal uh, education system, the more learning you get, the more light you shine on your fear and you eliminate fear, which is ultimately the cure for 90% of the issues that society or humanity faces today. Knowledge is the ultimate solution. I 100% agree. Thank you, Jim. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave the audience with that. Thank you. Thank you, James. Enjoyed it. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com.
Ashley for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.